Hello, you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. This is the News Roundup, all things impacting global supply chains this week. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Tony Hines and you're listening to the Chain Reaction News Roundup. Well, I reported last week in the News Roundup that the fire-stricken ship called the Fremantle Highway was struggling off the Dutch coast. It's on fire and has been for days. It's a car carrier and it was taken under tow on Sunday. Smoke from the vessel subsided considerably. Tugs have started to tow the ship in a controlled manner, about three knots. That's about 5.5 kilometres an hour. And local salvage companies, Ultraship and Smith Salvage, are undertaking the salvage operation. It's about 66 kilometres it has to travel and it will be still connected to the tugs once the new location is anchored to keep the ship under control. They're monitoring continuously the, the ship's stability and there's a pollution control vessel, the MS Arca, close by as a precautionary measure. There are other ships too from the Dutch and German Coast Guard. They'll want to get this ship to port as soon as they can but they'll have to agree where it can be hosted. It was Tuesday evening on July the 25th, shortly before midnight, when the car carrier, loaded with nearly 3,000 vehicles, sailed 27 kilometres north of Ameland, an island off the northern Dutch coast. Ships carrying 23 crew members and they've been taken off the ship. PCTC chartered the ship by Kawasaki Kizan Kashai, the K-Line. One member of the crew is reported as being ill. The vessel is owned by Shoiki Sen and managed by Wallan Ship Management. Now they've said that um, in a statement, media reports have been quick to pin the cause of the fire on electric cars the ship was transporting. However, the Coast Guard reiterated on several occasions the cause of the fire was yet to be determined. So I think that's an important point, it's yet to be determined. But we do know that uh, these lithium-ion batteries are risky when a ship is in distress, and particularly if there's a fire on board, they, uh, they can be quite volatile. So we'll wait and see for the, re- the report coming out, but it is a cause for concern. It was reported by the Guardian newspaper that uh, it's the vessel's owner that said one of the electric vehicles on board may have been the source of the fire. One sailor has died after... He and 22 others were rescued from the burning ship. Some crew members had to jump overboard. Most have since been discharged from hospital. Where the ship is located is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It has 10,000 aquatic and terrestrial species, including 140 species of fish, and 20 of those species spend their entire life in this tidal area along the mudflats. So let's hope it's not any more of an environmental disaster. The Guardian reported a similar incident taking place in March 2022 where a cargo ship carrying about 4,000 Volkswagen cars, including some electric models, caught fire and sank off the coast of the Azores in the Atlantic Ocean. So is this going to be more of a problem as more of these EVs are transported around the world? The Fremantle Highway departed Bremerhaven in Germany on the 25th of July at 4.45 and it was to sail 
for Port Said in Egypt. The estimated time of arrival was to be 9pm on the 2nd of August, but of course that's not going to happen. The Fremantle Highway is a vehicle carrier. It was built in 2013, just 10 years ago, and is sailing under the flag of Panama. It has a capacity of 18,549 deadweight tons, and the draft is around 10 metres. The overall length of the ship is 200 metres, and the width 32 metres. The accident, of course, is yet another reminder of the hazards faced by seamen when they go aboard cargo ships to sail our goods around the world. And our thoughts go out to the crew, and particularly to the person, that member of the crew, that lost their lives in this maritime accident, and his family. Wilco is a 90-year-old iconic UK high street brand. It was founded in the UK by J.K. Wilkinson in Leicester in the 1930s. Wilkinson rebranded all its UK stores between 2012 and 14 as Wilco, after many in-store room branded items were called Wilco Brands. Everyone called the store Wilco anyway, so this wasn't a big or unexpected move. Wilco occupies a very competitive place in the market. It stands alongside Poundland, B&M and The Range, who also provide similar product categories. Cost-conscious consumers shop at these store brands. B&M was only a fraction of the size of Wilco a decade ago, but today it's much bigger. B&M and The Range tend to occupy out-of-town spaces with car parking, and they're much easier to get to with more convenient shopping when buying bulky items. This is a very competitive market segment, and especially with the cost of living crisis. Wilco will survive, but it may not be able to retain all of its 400 stores and 12,000 staff. There will be casualties from this crisis. Wilco benefited, of course, from the exodus of another iconic brand, Woolworths, back in 2008. Woolworths opened its first UK store in Church Street, Liverpool, in 1909. It was also a much-loved brand for 99 years. Wilco, already a successful high street store, filled a gap in the market left by Woolworths' exodus and expanded its store portfolio. Whichever market segment you're in, you may have visited a Wilco store for something at some time. They often have hard-to-find items at good prices. When I searched for a particular colour of branded paint to finish work at my house a couple of years back, the only store that had it was Wilco and it was half the price of my original 10. Although many people claim to love the store, why is it heading for administration? It appears to be a combination of causes. The pandemic and forced closures of stores dried up the cash flow and increased costs. Overexpansion at the wrong time, leaving too many stores struggling to come up to expectations, may be another reason. Changing consumer habits, of course. Moving away from high streets to online trade, that's another way to buy bulky items without incurring any difficulties in either the purchase or delivery. And the killers, of course, are overstocking and cash flow. When stores have patterns of trade that are regular and established, it's easier to manage. Once disruption changes the pattern of trade, such as in a pandemic with consumer buying habits also changing at the same time, it's far more volatile and the only thing growing is inventory, not profit. When confidence in business is drained and rumours about difficulties emerge, the first things that follow are surely, as night follows day, that suppliers become nervous. And this can translate into credit and cash flow problems. And I'll explain. 
it becomes difficult to procure suppliers on terms previously agreed as the supplier's nervousness becomes an insistence on less generous payment terms to protect their own interest. As the situation worsens, suppliers might want to reduce 90-day terms to 30, or they request part payment in advance, or even want to be paid before delivery. I've seen all these things happen to good businesses. It drains away the lifeblood. Often the only way to stop the decline is to shield the business by entering into administration, which you hope, when you do it, it's only temporary, but it may not be. It gives the business respite to get sorted out, securing further capital injections, but it comes at a price. Higher interest rates, with the Bank of England raising its interest rate this week to 5.25%, not only affects homeowners, renters, consumers, but it affects everybody with loans and businesses too, because they often pay higher rates of interest on capital. Well, which do you prefer, the little blue bird or a very grey cross? X marks the spot. Well, Twitter had to remove the big X flashing on its building in San Francisco, as the neighbours complained. There are big fines to follow. I noticed the little blue bird has disappeared from my desktop Twitter account too, and it's been replaced with this grey X. Looks a bit sinister lurking at the top of the account. I like the bird. I know many stage acts don't like the bird. But this is a different bird we're talking about. Strange way to change the branding, isn't it? I suppose everyone will need to spend time and money changing the websites and business cards as a result of this too, eventually. As someone who taught marketing to generations of students, what I don't quite understand is why you would spend a fortune acquiring a brand with all that that entails. A brand that has goodwill already attached to it. Why throw that away? and then set about destroying it. For someone who had some great ideas, this is not one of Elon Musk's best, I fear. wonder if there'll be any kind of backlash by users of Twitter. Wouldn't be surprised. Let me know what you think. Hyundai and Kia are recalling 91,000 vehicles in the United States. It was reported this week. The recall is because of a fire risk. They're urging owners of the vehicles to park outside and away from structures that could catch fire until they can get the vehicle checked in the recall. There are about 51,000 Hyundai vehicles and 40,000 of Kia vehicles in this recall, and the source appears to be an electrical fault in the stop-go fuel pump. Now, for those of you interested in vehicle recalls, we had an addition recently that you can still go and listen to on the problem of recalls with some other car manufacturers. And if you're not yet listened to that, go buy your favourite platform and pick up the Chain Reaction podcast on vehicle recalls. The Food, Farming and Countryside Commission started a national conversation about food and it's asking citizens what they want from food. Now you can join the conversation from the autumn and have your say in this national conversation about food. I'll put the link in the notes to the episode. We all need food, of course, and we need food security. Those are two things that we want from our food. But as they say in the information about food, we now produce, sell and consume food. It's one of the biggest contributors to the nature, climate and health crisis that we face today. How does the food system need to change? That's the big question. 
and they're taking a look at the scientific research. It's all about having evidence-based policies, but they want to democratise the challenge here by giving people an opportunity to talk about food and about the relations between power, fairness, nature, climate and health. Who's really in charge of those decisions is another question they ask. How fair is the current system and does it give us what we need? A lot of people claim to know what people think is the headline in the message from the Food and Countryside Commission about this national food debate. They say people don't want a nanny state or people choose to eat junk food and don't want to be told what to eat. But has anybody ever asked you what you really want from food? A national conversation about food is asking people directly. It's giving them a voice. The first phase of this research project started in summer 2023 and over 24,000 invitations were sent to randomly selected postcodes in Birmingham and Cambridgeshire. From this group of people, these representative groups of citizens were invited to meet in each area over a three-week period and hear a range of different views from people working in the space for some time. They looked at policies which have been put forward over the years. They looked at the issues of power and fairness, which we talked about just a second ago, in the food system, and much more. And starting this autumn, the second phase will engage people from locations right across the UK nations. And they're going to share those findings with policymakers and businesses in the run-up to the general election. It's a citizen's call to action. Lots of organisations, academics and charities have been working on these issues for a very long time. And sometimes they're overlooked for the most popular soundbite that comes out. And the research here in this national conversation draws on research from the World Wildlife Fund, National Trust, RSPB, the Soil Association, FOLU, RAP, National Federation of Women's Institutes, Sustainable Food Trust, Food Ethics Council, the Green Alliance, WITCH, Local Trusts and European Climate Foundation. And so if you want to join this conversation, you can do. And this is very important to future supply chains in food and food security. So I'd urge anybody that's got an interest and something valuable to contribute to do so. Now, something we take for granted is that we're going to be able to ship goods by sea and, of course, through navigable river routes and canals. And, of course, with the changing climate, that's changing. We have droughts in Europe. There are places where rain is falling more frequently and in higher volumes. But there are also places where rain normally falls and it isn't falling because of the changes to the climate. And one of the things that caught my eye this week was an article by Raken Rahman about European commerce suffering as the Rhine River drought persists. And the article states that the chemical producer BASF loads and unloads approximately 15 barges a day, accounting for 40% of its transport volume, and it's set to reroute its logistics to trains and trucks. This is because the Rhine is falling in water levels, and in part water levels are critical. The draft on the boats going down the river aren't designed for very low water levels, 
and so some of those can't travel the normal routes. Back in 2018, historically low water levels at the Rhine cost 5 billion euros to German industrial production. Heat waves in southern Europe, water levels in the River Cub, a significant waypoint west of Frankfurt, have been exceptionally low this summer, according to Bloomberg, and only about half the number of ships that previously travelled the route have done so. The Bank of England raised its interest rates this week by a quarter of a percent, and that's the rate at which I said it would rise in the previous news roundup last week. So, as expected... A strange thing is about these rate rises. The bank, of course, sees it as a way to control inflation, but the interest rate is but one blunt instrument, and it affects the poorer communities, those with loans, much more than it does the rest of the economy. And there are still many people in the economy with the ability to purchase from savings and who won't be affected because perhaps their incomes are higher then. So the intended outcome may not be what the bank is trying to do, because you raise interest rates hoping to take disposable income down so that people don't demand goods when supplies of those goods are limited. So you don't have money effectively chasing fewer goods, which pushes prices up, and that, of course, would stop inflation. But there are mixed opinions on the strategy adopted by the Bank of England in this particular case. And it does seem simply sticking to past patterns of behaviour without taking account of the current circumstances. Everybody expects the interest rate to go up again next month. And I wonder what it will be. Another quarter percent? This, of course, is driving loan rates up for those with mortgages, those with loans and business loans paying even higher interest rates. So is this going to cause a recession rather than solve the inflation problem? Well, some people think so, but we'll have to wait and see. Now, I just want to tell you about a couple of episodes that you might want to catch up on, and they're coming your way soon. One is on supply chain collaboration, so drop by and pick that up. I'm sure you'll find that interesting. And the other one is on investing in the electric car. And it's about some of the problems with regard to infrastructure on EVs. And we've talked about it a number of times on the Chain Reaction podcast. But this is a special program reporting on some of the issues and problems that need to be resolved if this market is to take off. And you can also catch up on any episode you've missed by simply searching on your favourite platforms and uh, listening to episodes that you are interested in. Well, it used to only be the British that were noted for the endless discussions about the weather. But with the extreme weather in southern Europe in the past month or two, as a result of climate change, there's a big conversation taking place between leaders of different countries that are impacted by the extreme weather. It's affecting the tourism because it's too hot and it's also affecting the crops 
which are damaged by the heat. And the extreme heat is destroying the ecosystem and threatening the existing ways of life in these countries. That's according to Italy's president, Sergio Mattarella. And his counterparts in Greece, Croatia, Slovenia, Malta and Portugal have also been discussing the topic of the extreme weather. It's caused wildfires, damaging landscapes, homes, lives and also flooding. But the scorched earth is of great concern. And some people have remarked that southern Europe could look more like North Africa within a decade if this continues. So the fertile lands of southern Europe that provide many crops could be damaged forever. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off and I'll see you next time. Bye for now. been listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, written, presented and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains. And we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.